just wasn't being faithful. He just didn't keep his word. How do you feel when that's happening? I can tell you how I felt at that particular time. I was getting really annoyed. This is about two or three times now that I've actually said, hey, can we come at this particular time, meet at this particular place, and let's get this thing happening. And he just kept failing to turn up. Uh, I was getting very, very annoyed. I was beginning to think, maybe he doesn't really value me or value this job that I've given to him. He just couldn't really care less about it because he just wasn't turning up. He was beginning to be very unfaithful and just didn't keep his word. And this is exactly what we're going to see in Malachi here today as well. Uh, A people who were faithless uh, before God and faithless before each other at the same time as well. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please uh, go to Malachi chapter 2 and we'll read from verses 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Uh, Father, thank you today that we can uh, come before you and uh, open up this precious word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would uh, grant us uh, ears to hear and a mind to understand. And I pray that you would just help us now to uh, begin to focus in, Lord, upon this passage. God, for all those things that are racing into our minds uh, now, jobs for tomorrow, things I want to get done next week, places I want to be there this afternoon. God, I pray, please, please help us to just um, push them aside. And uh, just begin to focus now upon your truth. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that this would not be just a word we hear. Uh, We ask, Holy Spirit, this would be a word that we would apply to our lives. Uh, Father, we ask that and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are moving very quickly through this fast-paced book of Malachi. Malachi is moved uh, by the Holy Spirit to call Israel to repentance over their breaking of a covenant before God. Uh, their exile away from their home country, where uh, Israelites were removed from their home country because they rebelled against God and God allowed other nations to come in and they got taken away as slaves, is now over. For 70 years they've been away, they've now come back and God has graciously restored them uh, to their promised land once again. But it's not good there. It's not good when they go back. Uh, Israel's back in the land, but they've walked away from God and they've lost sight of his abounding goodness and his supreme greatness. They're living as a faithless people. They're not living with God. They're created in the very centre of their lives. 
Israel's living as a people whose life is built all around themselves and not about God. It's like me first, me last, and me in between as far as Israel is concerned at this particular time. And with this particular passage today, we'll see them living as faithless people, and particularly so in marriage. God has shown himself faithful to them time after time, but now Israel is revealing its true colours and showing itself faithless before God, uh, and particularly so in, uh, in marriage. Now, what we can trace through the Bible is a set of covenants or agreements. You might have seen that word there before at the start of the passage, a covenant. Uh, these are agreements between God and man. And you can see them uh, through Noah and Abraham and Moses and David as you sort of work through the Bible. There's, there's these covenants or agreements that God has with these particular people and then uh, branching out for particular nations. And the whole idea of a covenant here or an agreement is God enters into these with these people he's already rescued and saved that they would now walk in his ways. I've rescued you, I've saved you, now that you're my people, walk in this way. This is the covenant or the agreement that we have. The, the two parties come together, God and the people, and that they, that they would remain faithful in covenant to each other here as, uh, as God's people. And we see this here in verse 10 of Malachi chapter 2. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Malachi asks. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So there it is in that last part of that verse. Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Malachi is trying to bring them back here to think about covenant or agreement. There's a covenant here that God has made with our fathers, the fathers of Israel. Malachi is saying there's a, there's a covenant here that our forefathers have been faithful to and that God has never let us down. He's always been faithful in that covenant as well. There's a sense here where Malachi is trying to bring them back to look over history, to look back to the past, to look back to see what God has done and to see that God has never let them down in this covenant or in this agreement. He's saying, look back, Israel, look back to the history. Look back and see there what God has done. And this is what you'll find. You'll find a God who has never let us down. A God who's always remained faithful. A God who's always kept his word without fail. A God who's been absolutely faithful to us. Look back to our one true Father and God. Has there ever been a time, Israel, that God has not been faithful to us? Malachi is saying, look back over this history. The answer is definitely no. God has always been faithful. Always been faithful. There's never been a time when God has walked away and deserted Israel and left them to their own devices. God has remained faithful. Always. That's what Malachi wants to see right from the start there. God is a faithful God. Look back to the covenant with our forefathers. He has remained faithful. Not so, though, for Israel. Unfortunately, we can't say the same thing about them. Because after all, this is Malachi's whole point as he comes to this passage here. You're a faithless people. You've broken faith with God in the covenant that he has entered into with you. You entered into an agreement with God that is his people that he saved and rescued, that you would live in such a way to reflect that salvation. That's the covenant you entered into, but you've broken faith. You've become faithless people and you haven't lived up to it. And here Malachi begins to show them this covenant unfaithfulness or with a broken faith here. In verse 11, Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. 
For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. There it is, Israel. That's what you've done. What's Israel? Sorry, what's Malachi saying there as he as he communicates that to us today? Israel had agreed with God that they wouldn't marry people outside of their nation. In the covenants that God had put together with His people, God had said, "You must marry within the nation of Israel." And the whole idea of doing that was they, God knew that if you married outside of the nation, taking on uh, foreign uh, wives they would eventually lead you to worshipping foreign idols or foreign deities. They would lead you away from the one true faith in God and they would lead you to a whole new faith which will be a worthless and an idolatrous faith. So this is what Malachi is saying. You're doing the very thing God has told us not to do. You're marrying foreign wives and you're bringing them into the sanctuary of God. Israel's marrying unbelievers who who are... following another foreign idol who couldn't care less about the Lord God Almighty. This is their break of faith. This is their faithless living, not keeping to the covenant or the agreement that God had called them into as his treasured possession. They've gone off for other people. So Malachi is saying, you're profaning the covenant. That's the word he uses there. It's a bit like you're trampling over God's agreement with us in the mud. You're using it as a doormat to wipe your feet in as you come in and out of the house. You're trampling upon the covenant and the agreement that God has called us into as his people. Malachi is saying, you are a faithless people. And that's not all you're doing, Israel, in being faithless. It's always the bad news first here with Malachi. It's not all you're doing as well as being faithless, Israel. It goes further. He says there, you're crying tears of selfishness towards God because he won't answer your prayers. He has no regard for your offerings. Verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hand. It's a bit like Malachi saying, you guys aren't even savvy enough to work out what's happening here while your prayers aren't being answered. And they say there in verse 14, but why does he not? Why does he not regard our offering? Why does he not hear our prayers? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So not only are they faithless before God, the Israelites at this particular time, they are faithless towards each other. They can't even keep faith with each other, and particularly here in marriage. Some of these people, we're getting the picture here, which is a pretty clear picture, are divorcing their older wife. They could be middle-aged guys. Who knows what age they are? They're actually said, okay, I'm trading her in for a new model. She's past the use-by date. I'm looking for something now a bit younger and a bit more attractive. And that's probably what they're seeing. They're seeing some foreign wives, foreign ladies across there, young and attractive, and they look at their older wife there and say, whoa, no, no, I want this young, attractive one over here. I don't know about you, but as I got the picture of this and I started reading it through at the start of the week, I had this picture in my mind of some older bloke with a sort of a young floozy under his arm sort of waltzing up into the temple and just sort of marching on in there and he's got his nice new trophy under his arm there and coming up for his temple daily prayers and he's, he's flooding the altar with tears. He's just tears are just pouring out of him. He says, oh, Lord, my business is failing. Can you make my business prosperous, please? Lord, I need a new house. I need a bigger chariot. 
please, can you give me a new house and a bigger chariot and the tears are flowing out of him? Lord, can you just get my kids to respect me? Oh, I just need the respect of my kids. God, but you're not listening to me. Why are you not listening? I need a bigger chariot. I need a bigger business. And meanwhile, he's got this sort of, you know, young floozy under his arm. He's divorced his wife and he's sort of working out why God's not listening to his prayers and why God's not regarding the offering here that he's, that he's bringing. Malachi is saying, Israel, you're not only being faithless to God, but you're being faithless to the wife of your youth also. You're not only trampling over the covenant that you've made with God, you're trampling over the covenant you've made with your wife of your youth. It's like you're taking your wedding certificate and you're using that to sort of wipe all the dishes down and clean all the dishes in the kitchen. You're trampling over it. You're not even honouring the agreement you went into with your wife. Malachi is saying this is an abomination. This is a disgrace. It's an outrage, Israel. This is being totally unfaithful to God and totally unfaithful to the wife of you. Why should God listen to you? Give me one good reason why he should if you're going to live like that. There's no good reason. Why should he? It's a pretty desperate picture here of Malachi, isn't it? And very, very similar to what we live in here today in this world. How often do we see that replicated here? Often. Uh, we'll see guys maybe get to the middle ages and marriages hit a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a trough, a bit of a low spot, and they might see somebody way younger in the office or way younger somewhere else or way younger in the sporting social club. And it just happens. It just happens. This is written two and a half thousand years ago, but it could be written today. It's incredible how we just haven't changed as people. It's an incredibly... Uh, real and vibrant and alive book the Bible it really does speak to us exactly where we're at so we need to ask ourselves today well what's this saying to us as we think about this picture that Malachi is painting of the people of Israel and uh, for us today I'd say it's saying lots it's saying lots to us really big things and today I actually want to spend a bit more time and application as we think about these principles here Because the principles in this passage are timeless and what we see of God here is nothing short of pure gold. And his uh, call to us to be faithful to him and to be faithful uh, in marriage as well. So I want to explore here just a little bit of this faithfulness um, to God and to each other in general and then more specifically in marriage. Faithfulness is a really, really big thing and a really, really important thing and it really does reflect who God is in our lives when we are faithful. For believers trusting in Christ and following his ways, we must be the most faithful and dependable people in the community. It must be that. Because we have a God who's taken residence within us who is faithful to us. We should be people who say what we'll do and then do what we'll say. We should be people who say what we'll do And then do what we say. If I say to somebody, hey, I'm going to be at your place next Tuesday at five o'clock and I'm going to help you ship some furniture because I know you're moving house and whatnot, we should turn up and do that. But sometimes, sometimes I think, "Ah, look, it won't matter if I don't don't turn up because there's going to be 15 other people there and they won't really miss me at all. I just won't turn up. We shouldn't think like that. It's terrible to think like that. You know, what if 15 other people thought the same way and then nobody turns up? 
It's a reflection there of being unfaithful. It's not faithful at all. When we say, I'll be there at a certain time, and then I don't turn up. There is no faithfulness in that at all. Now, sure, I know sometimes we make a commitment to do something or go somewhere and we'll arrange a time and a place, and sometimes things happen. They really do. That's, that's, that's the world we live in. Sometimes something unexpected comes along. Actually, I now can't be there at 5 o'clock next Tuesday to help shift furniture so you can move house. That will happen. If that does happen, that's fine. That's okay. But let's do the right thing in regards to faithfulness. Let's actually communicate that to the person we had made the commitment to that we were going to be there at 5 o'clock. Let's actually keep them in the picture so they understand what's happening. And please, 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 don't communicate that by text or email. You might think, oh, Todd, what are you on about? Sometimes text or email is just a cop-out for not actually having a good conversation or a talk to somebody about things. Text or email is a really cheap way and sometimes avoiding difficult conversation. I'll just send a text and say, I'm not coming tonight. Don't text. Don't email. Ring the person up. Have the conversation. Explain what's happening. Does that have to be an hour-long conversation? Don't text or email. It's, it's, it's a problem of this world we live in now. Texting and email is a great thing, but it's so easily abused and actually just a bit of a quick... I'll just quickly send off a text and I'll just avoid the topic or avoid the hard conversation. Don't text. Don't email. Ring up and so you can't make it. Sometimes we don't keep our word to others. What we're really telling them is that they don't mean that much to us. That's the downside. That's, that's the negative side. When we don't keep our word to people, people are saying, they didn't even bother to contact me. They didn't even bother to ring me up. They just didn't turn up. It just sends a message that I'm not sure I mean that much to them. The community we live in must have a, a comment that they can make about Christians that they are people who live up to their word. They are really people that you can trust them on. If they say something, these Christians, they do it. And if they can't do it, they actually ring you up and tell you why they can't do it. There should be a comment that they can make about the community believers that these are people who keep to their word. And if they can't, they give you a good uh, explanation why they can't do it. And what, the, what is that? That is an incredible picture here of the faithfulness that God's uh, demonstrated to us that we can now demonstrate back to the community and it reveals a glorified God. Like God and his glory in our lives who's demonstrated his faithfulness to us and we can now demonstrate that to others. It's a general sense, but it's a really important sense. It's a world today that's um, lost the ability to uh, keep to our word, lost the ability to remain faithful. There's obviously a very strong emphasis here in this passage on marriage and faithfulness in marriage is where Malachi is going. And for me, this is critical for the community and culture back then, and it's no different today. Marriage faithfulness is just as critical for our community and culture that we live in today. Um, It's a world today that is just struggling big time in marriage. Marriage is a sacred relationship that God has created way back at the beginning of time. The first two people that God created, Adam and Eve, he put into a marriage relationship, man and wife. And contrary to what the government is now doing, uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. I I don't know if you saw some of the news reports this week of the celebration on Thursday of the law that's passed for same-sex marriage. That's not a celebration. 
That's a day of sadness. That is a day of sadness. I was grieved when I saw that, thinking, where is this country going? They're celebrating, they're hugging, and what are they celebrating and hugging? They're celebrating and hugging godless living. Now, we don't despise them, we don't hate them, we don't dislike them, we love them. But it's right to feel saddened and grieved by that process. It really is right and, and to, to feel sad and grieved about that process. Marriage is one man and one woman. It cannot be defined in any other way. Marriage and family is the basis and foundations of our communities where we live. Communities are made up of families. Strong, healthy communities are made up of strong, healthy families. And strong, healthy families start with strong, healthy marriage. It's paramount, it's absolutely paramount that followers of Jesus Christ are committed to being faithful in marriage. It is absolutely a priority. It is here that faithful Christian marriages become the salt and the light of the community that we live in to help build a strong community. In a world that's continued to be marked by brokenness and dysfunction, a faithful Christian marriage should light the way to show how God has created marriage. Faithful marriage is demonstrating exactly what God has created. It's this type of marriage that hangs tight in the tough times that becomes the bedrock of the communities that we live in. It becomes the very foundation that communities can build upon is strong, solid, faithful Christian marriages. It's an absolute priority, absolute priority for the community that we live in. Not only that, that not only that, uh, not only that, hang on, not only that, not only that, but faithful marriage is also anchored in God's faithfulness. I didn't put a prom in the right spot there, that's all. I was trying to think, what have I written there? And I read it again. No, I didn't write that. Not only that, but faithful marriages anchored in God's faithfulness provide the best place to raise children who will love and follow uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. So not only does it provide a strong, healthy place for a community to build on a strong, healthy marriages, but it also places, uh, puts in place a place for children to be raised who are godly. Verse 15 says that of Malachi. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in the union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring from a godly marriage. God is working right in the middle of a spirit-empowered marriage to produce godly offspring. With a husband or a wife that are absolutely committed to Christ and being filled with his spirit, we are in the best position to raise children who will love and follow Jesus, who will be godly children. This is exactly what Malachi is saying here. Think about this. Think about this. If you've got a family situation where mum and dad are on the same page with the gospel and the conversation around the house is flavoured with a God-centred worldview, the world and its ways are exposed for their lies and their deceptions. A family where genuine prayer is a common everyday occurrence if you've got a marriage here centred around Christ, a, man, a, marriage, a family here where the Bible is held as God's word and is spoken of regularly, a family where mum and dad are committed to church and fellowshipping with God's people every week, they enjoy going to church every week without fail, a family where gospel-centred, sacrificial love is demonstrated to other needy people, what do you think that would communicate to the children if you had something like that? 
If you had all those things in place, what would they communicate to the children within that family? I think it would say something like this. Uh, Dad and Mum, they really love God. Dad and Mum are actually really faithful to each other. Uh, Dad and Mum, they are putting their faith in Christ and they are doing all they can to be faithful to him and faithful to the body of people that he's called them to. I think it would communicate that to them. They would see something really outlived and outworked as something extremely valuable in that situation. Now compare it to this. What about if it's a family that's marked by an atmosphere where Jesus' name isn't mentioned at all? There's no acknowledgement of all the life we live is centred around God. The world is your oyster, not God's oyster, that he lets us use. There's no mention of the gospel and there's no mention of our moral accountability before God. A family that is saturated with worldly thinking and worldly values. What will be the attitude communicated to children in that family? It'll be anything but a God-centred worldview. It'll be anything but that God is the centre of our lives. It'll be anything but that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour. Malachi is saying, hey, this is what God wants. He wants some godly offspring from these marriages that are faithful to him and to each other. Now let me say here that a Christian marriage doesn't guarantee godly children. It's not a guaranteed formula for success. Hey, if I've got two Christian parents, I'll definitely have all Christian kids. It's not a guarantee for success. It's not a formula that just works every single time. I know very many godly parents, very strong godly parents who have very ungodly children. And that's a pain and that's a grief and that's a deep, deep sadness. It's not a a formula for success. But what I will say is that it's probably the best thing you can actually create to try and raise godly children. And I know here within our church we have many here who are good, strong, godly parents but have children who are far, far from the Lord. And we pray regularly for that. They would come and discover who Christ is. The consequences of divorce are devastating. No one wins in divorce. No one wins in divorce. With divorce comes pain, bitterness, anger, rejection and loneliness. It's devastating. A married couple who once shared their lives together now become the bitterest of enemies. They're working through um, you know, financial settlements and property disputes and it's just amazing how quickly the venom comes out in those situations. They are really painful times. I've sat through a couple of people going through that. I can't see any fun at all in that. It's just nothing but pain. And if there's kids involved, they just sort of become this meat in the sandwich. They sort of just drag from one side to the other side. No one wins in divorce. Look what Malachi says here about divorce in verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Really strong words here that God uses about divorce. Really strong words there. The man who divorces his wife covers his garment with violence. Now, I say, what is Malachi saying there? What's this cover the garment with violence? What's that mean? The word garment there 
in particular in Old Testament times, signifies protection or care or nurture or love. In Old Testament times, a part of the marriage ceremony was like spreading your garment over your wife. Just go back to the story of Boaz and Ruth. And it said that he spread his garment over Ruth. In other words, he's marrying Ruth. I'm going to put my care and protection and my love and concern over my wife. I'm going to spread my garment over her and I'm going to care for her and I'm going to protect her and I'm going to love her. But God's saying here, the man who does that, he covers his garment with violence. In divorce, we are doing violence against the work of God's spirit in putting us together as one person in the marriage covenant, in the marriage relationship. The wedding vow says no longer two, but now one. What we hear that often? What, what God has put together, let no man separate. What God has put together, let no man separate. To sever a marriage through divorce in what God has put together is a violent act. It's a violent act. It's like trying to pull apart Siamese twins. They're one, aren't they? They're joined. And what happens in the operation when they pull apart Siamese twins? There's lots of pain. There's a knife they've got to cut through delicately. Well, they they do, but what do they leave behind? Scars and disfigurement. This is the violence here that God is talking about in divorce. Something that is one and meant to be one. We now want to rip this apart. We're going to leave scars behind. We're going to leave disfigurement behind. There's going to be lots of pain associated in this. Marriage with God was never, ever designed to be pulled apart. Other translations here of the same verse is God hates divorce. It's a violent act upon what God has created, what God has put together. In a Christian sense, in a Christian sense, where two people are committed to Christ... I believe there's a really good case to be made that there are no grounds for divorce whatsoever if there are two committed Christians involved. I thoroughly believe that. I thoroughly believe that God has given us everything as two committed Christians to actually work through any difficulty, to work through any challenge. If we are happy to walk away from marriage as a Christian, marriage to another Christian, we're just avoiding the hard path that we need to actually walk down. We just want to step away from all the hard stuff and take the easy option. I thoroughly believe there are no grounds for two committed followers of Christ to divorce. I think God gives us everything we need to stay together and to work through that. Also, as much as marriage is a beautiful gift of God, it isn't the ultimate in life. It isn't the ultimate in life. The ultimate in life is to worship God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the ultimate in life. That is what we are created for. It's really possible, and I think it's probably what's happened, that the people in Malachi's time were thinking that marriage is the ultimate in life. I'm sure they were thinking that. And maybe that's why they married these foreign women. Maybe, just maybe, they thought, I don't want to miss out on experiencing marriage. I don't want to be sort of left up on the shelf. I want to to experience this whole marriage thing. I'll I'll just go grab anybody who's half decent. I'll grab this foreign lady over here. Mixed marriage. And what happens then is we put marriage way up there as the ultimate in life, like this is what life's all about, to get married. It blurs our our vision about who we should be married to. 
it totally rearranges our vision so we don't see clearly and marry the right marriage partner for life. It says in Corinthians, they're not to be unequally yoked. The 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? I've seen this happen. And I'm sure most, many of you have actually known people where this has happened as well. People have gone and married unbelievers and it's ended up being a world of pain. A world of pain. I know a couple that is from my previous church been married to unbelievers for 50 years. And I've heard them from time to time pour out their drama and their grief, sharing their pain, sharing the challenge that they've faced over 50 years of being married to an unbeliever. And their counsel today would be exactly what it was when I saw them weeks, days, months, years ago. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not be unequally yoked. Marriage is not the ultimate in life. It's not so much I've got to get married at all costs, even if it is an unbeliever. That is not what it's about. The counsel would be don't do it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould by succumbing to all the romance of marriage. It's far, far greater than the romance you might see advertised on TV or glossy magazines. Faithful, strong marriages make God look glorious. Spirit-empowered, Jesus-trusting and God-loving marriages make the gospel look very, very powerful. A faithful marriage that is submitted to Christ makes him look very attractive. As the community of Christ demonstrates faithful marriages that go the distance before a community that are breaking up at light speed sometimes, it serves to show that the love of Christ through the gospel is powerful to empower people to work hard at marriages, even in the tough times, and succeed. God-glorifying, faithful marriages are an incredibly attractive thing for the Christian community to show the world we live in. People are looking on and saying, how do they do this? How does this couple stay together? How do they stay together after all they have been through? How do they sort through all the challenges of life and that they're still together? How does a couple do that? What have these Christians got? It's a powerful witness of God's gospel and its power working through our lives when we work together to work through those challenging times. Even if you're married to an unbeliever, it's still a very powerful witness to your unbelieving husband or wife and to the community around about us. I can't believe she puts up with him so long. I can't believe he puts up with her for so long. It's a very, very powerful witness here that we can show the community that we live in. Faithful marriages. It's something the world desperately needs to see, particularly so from the church. So how do we keep these marriages together? Where's the, where's the, 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 the pointer here that Malachi would help us to see? Malachi says in verse 16, So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. We can only guard ourselves against being faithless by seeing Jesus who's gone before us and has already guarded us. We can only guard ourselves here by seeing that Jesus has already gone before us and guarded us. Revelations 21.9, see, we see a picture here of a bride uh, who is the wife of the Lamb in the last book of uh, the Bible. And the marriage here that is depicting is a relationship between Jesus Christ and all those who follow him. It's this glorious, beautiful relationship of Christ and the church. Jesus is the perfect husband. 
Jesus is the faithful husband. See, we can either look at our lives in general or our marriages and we can very quickly see how faithless we have been through life. We can look back and see how we failed and what we've done wrong. I haven't kept my word to people. I haven't been faithful to my marriage partner. I'm not talking in a sexual fidelity way, but just faithless in other ways. I haven't done that. I've failed. We've let each other down. Well, we need to confess that. We need to admit that. That we have been faithless. But at the same time, we need to see Jesus who has never let us down and will always be faithful to us. In Timothy, it tells us this about Jesus. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That is the picture of us, and that is the picture of him. If we, have, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And this is the beauty here of Jesus Christ, who's guarded us through the power of the gospel. We fail, and we fail often. But his grace and his power picks us up. He washes us and he cleanses us of all our faithful, faithless sinning. He then empowers us to stand again to build faithful lives that go the distance and are able to face any circumstances. This is the power of Jesus Christ. So we guard ourselves in being faithful by looking to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our life, who's gone before us and already guarded us by his work at the cross. Today, guys, difficult stuff somewhat for Malachi. It really does sort of hit our hearts in many ways. The people of Malachi today are no different today. Maybe today we've got to confess unfaithfulness. Even in a general sense, I just haven't been faithful to my word to people. I've copied out the weak way and sent them a text or an email. Maybe we've got to apologise. Confess that. Maybe in marriage we've got to do that as well. Just, I haven't been faithful to my wife or I haven't been faithful to my husband. I've actually just lived my own life, my own path and didn't really consider you in my life. Well, we can make that confession today in the grace of Jesus Christ through the spirit and power gospel of reconciliation that he has so freely given to us. We can make those confessions in a really safe place, in a safe space, because Christ has gone before us and guarded us and he's called us into this grace-filled relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today for the book of Malachi. Thank you for the uh, truth that is there. God, thank you today that you have called us into uh, faithful living. Father, thank you that you have demonstrated it first and foremost uh, through your display, through life and through this world, and Lord, ultimately through Jesus Christ to remain absolutely faithful to you. Uh, Lord, today, please, please help us to grasp this. Please help us to put into place in our lives faithful living, faithful to each other, Lord, just keeping our word. Say what we'll do and we'll do what we'll say. Father, help us to be faithful in our marriages as well. Help us, Lord, to be a community of people who demonstrate these marriages that are held together by Christ and these marriages that demonstrate faithfulness, Lord, despite the challenges and the times we go through that people will look on and they'll say, how do they do that? And they will be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Please, God, we pray, help us to do that today. Help us to shine these marriages into a dark world, I pray. Father, for those who may need to have conversation, for those today who might need to say sorry, for those today who might need to confess, God, I pray that you'll give them the power of your Holy Spirit to do that. And God, there will be tremendous growth phases in their marriage. 
Uh, Lord, thank you today uh, that we're able to come around your word, and I pray you'll bless that to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Brianna's going to come and... Uh,